I think success is freedom. I spent a long time listening to people, doing the things that I was asked, and now I've reached this place in my career where I call the shots, and that feels like a freedom that I haven't seen for the majority of my life. Welcome to the Idea Generation Podcast, a show about creative entrepreneurship. My name is Noah Callahan-Bever, and each week I'll be speaking with some of the most innovative ideators in culture and trying to figure out how they make their creative decisions. This podcast is brought to you by the good people at Shopify. Feeling that entrepreneurial itch? Turn your passion into a business with Shopify. They've got everything you need to start, run, or grow your business. Check out shopify.com idea to learn more. Salehi Benbury was never far from creativity. His father was a photographer, and Benbury saw firsthand how to bring a vision to life. But Benbury wanted more security to go along with his craft. So instead of jumping headfirst into the arts, he decided to pursue a degree in industrial design. Learning the ins and outs of design, the knowledge Benbury gained, and his ability to blend style and function gave him a unique edge in the footwear space. My dad's a photographer. Um, he owned his business. Like he kind of did fashion. He shot, I think, the last like three presidents. Like really like everything. And I and I think the lack of boundaries is maybe what influenced me a little bit. But he owned his own business. We we had a loft in Tribeca, so the the first like one fourth of the loft was like a photography studio. So he would uh, you know have a bunch of shoots there. He would shoot our family. Those would be like family moments. And my dad was like really good at networking and reaching out to people. So he'd always be like calling people that. You know, you could tell that sometimes maybe wanted to hear from him and some people that didn't want to hear from him. He was always really driven about, you know, reaching out and, you know, seeing if they needed, you know, photography work. So I knew that a part of his job was, uh, was outreach. And it wasn't just the fact that he, you know, pressed a button on a machine and used his perspective and eyes to uh, create art. But it was also managing relationships and reaching out to people and, like, making himself seen in a time where... You couldn't just like post a picture to be seen. So I think that definitely influenced some level of how I approach my job that now I probably like realize in retrospect, I don't think I was like 10 years old, like this is how you network, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say that that was definitely a, a large influence in my. Did you feel like it was a, a foregone conclusion that you were going to be working in creative industries when you grew up? Well, I, I just always grew up with like artistic talent. I always had the ability to draw and paint and work with my hands and my parents had the insight to tell me to major in something that could potentially be a little bit more lucrative than majoring in drawing or painting. So they were like, you know, you should probably look into industrial design or architecture. And architecture was buildings and math and industrial design was product and it was really broad. The extreme interest that I had in sneakers and footwear, that seemed like a path to kind of get there. Tell me about your experience in high school. You grew up in Manhattan. You went to school on the Upper West Side at Calhoun. Did you know that you wanted to get into art as a serious passion when you were in high school? I would say, if anything, art, uh, high school was the, like, veered me off the track a little bit because I was coming from growing up in Tribeca. You know, middle school or elementary school was in the West Village, so both neighborhoods with a lot of uh, color and culture. And then I go to high school on the Upper West Side at Calhoun. One of my first memories was that they were making fun of me because my clothes didn't match. So the fact that that was like, you know, one of the first things I had to encounter going to this like new environment. And it was also just education to me because 
I thought at least Manhattan was one world. And that quickly showed me that there are so many different bubbles. And What was the first piece of footwear that sort of captured your imagination? The N1 2 Chillin'. Strangely, it was actually like a lot like a Yeezy. It was like this like laceless uh, knit shoe with like an EVA bottom. Those were just interesting because like, you know, a lot of the time with footwear, everything is kind of the same. You know, people change design lines, they'll change color, but a lot of the time it's really the same product with like a, just a little twist on it. And I think anytime someone like is able to introduce like new product that is still digestible and palatable, but makes someone like stop and look at it. When you can get that five seconds for someone to really stare at something and like explore it more, that's, that's a, an achievement. When you're exiting high school, you know that you're into art. You're contemplating art school, I imagine. How formed were your thoughts about your professional life at 18? Oh, at 18, I wasn't thinking about professional life. I think we're, you know, we're kind of met with different obstacles at different points in our lives, and that was, it was all about just getting through college. It was about learning. I guess I wasn't associating the things I was learning with, like, I'm going to apply this to a job one day. It was more about, like, I just need to pass this final, or, like, I need to figure out what I'm going to design for this project. If anything, I don't think I realized that a lot of the things that I learned in college until I was, like, in the jobs, and then I would, like, you know, implement one of the things I learned, and I'd be like, oh, my God, Professor Carr taught me this, you know? <laughs> so... Explain what going to school for industrial design is really like. All throughout life, we were surrounded by design. Good design is unseen. You don't even notice it. It just works. And so I think a lot of people don't even realize that every aspect of their life is design. So industrial design is, I think, first getting us to like realize the intent and the thought that's put into creativity and in product design, and then getting us to understand the why and the history and the, the research that goes into creating that product. And I'm probably forgetting some things, but then I guess once you get that foundation, then you can kind of slowly start to maybe have a point of view. I was miserable during college in, in regards to industrial design. Like I enjoyed making things, but in, in regards to the things we were learning, I was pretty bored. But looking back, all those things I learned were, were implemented and, or at least accessed. So even like anyone listening to this that thinks like in the moment that like their professor doesn't know what they're talking about, like, Maybe you'll get it in five years or something like that. Because it took me like 10. So you graduate, come back to the city, and you didn't really have much of a plan or an idea of where you were going to go from there? It was really, I mean, I remember those I remember those days so vividly. It was just scrolling Craigslist, applying to things, and then just wa like watching that little zero with the parentheses around it and just hoping it turned into a one. It, it was really just that and just, you know, going on interviews and... Were you applying for totally disparate jobs at that point, like outside of footwear? At that time, I was definitely focused on it being footwear. And it wasn't really about pay. I obviously needed to support myself. I believe that you are your resume. So I was just like, I need to just like start this resume. You know, at least anyone reading like that resume is going to be like, oh, Payless. So after Payless, there was a spot called Fortune Footwear that was in Tribeca. They felt like a level up because they were a licensed brand. So they did like a lot of mall brands like BB and Steve Madden and like Beyonce's mom, Tina, had a brand called House of Darion. So there was a bunch and I was like, okay, cool. Like now it's still not really where I want to be, but this is like more brands that people have heard of. Simultaneously, Dame Dash had just opened up this space four or five blocks away called DD172, which was coincidentally on the same block that I grew up on, like two blocks away on Dwayne Street. And then this Dame Dash thing was like, I see people that look like me and like they're working on like cool things. And 
you know, there's like rappers that I recognize and would love to meet. And it's like Dame Dash, right? This is all like, at the time was like so crazy to, to even just be within a close proximity of. So I just wanted to like get into this. So I just started like hang, going around there, hanging out. There was like fine art happening out of there. There was like a magazine. There was like uh, digital content. He would do concerts in the basement. Just so many names would come through and, and it'd be such an intimate show because there was only a hundred people. It was just, there was always something going on. At the time, I don't even think I realized what I was a part of. And it wasn't footwear at all, right? Like there was, they were doing some stuff with Adidas. So maybe I got to like color a pair of Adidas blue. It was strange. Like at the time I was almost more pursuing happiness than footwear because there was no footwear, but I just like, this, it felt right. And it felt like momentum and excitement. And, but yeah, it was a part of a lot of cool projects there. And I, you know, I met a lot of people and, and strangely enough, like I run into those people pretty often because we've all kind of like traveled up the industry. And it was definitely like a special two or three years. Yeah. How fixed were your ideas on where you wanted to go? You know, it's strange because for me, my dream was like an associate design job at, at, at Nike. Like living in Oregon would have been, that's all I wanted. But I guess through just like opportunity, being prepared and blessed that I've, I've been given, I guess, a, a whole other opportunity that now just being a, a competitive spirit in a New Yorker, I feel like I have to seize. So now I don't really know what the future holds for me. And I'm kind of just riding a wave of wins and momentum and trying to be pragmatic about, I guess, the opportunities that I associate myself with. With both Dame and Kanye, I mean, I think it'd always be interesting that if someone were to come to them and say, like, we can't do this, they would both just be like, make it work. I just thought there was something something in them that just wouldn't accept an obstacle or wouldn't accept no. And and that would, a lot of the time that would force me or that person to figure it out. Working at Dame Dash's DD172 studio taught Bembury to chase exactly what he wanted and never take no for an answer. Though the creative chaos of Dash's factory was ultimately just a pit stop for the young creative, it teased the potential of success in the spaces where he aspired to make his mark. So when an opportunity arose at high-end men's footwear brand Cole Haan, working under Nike OG Jeff Henderson, Bembury seized the moment. The thing at Dame wasn't really like stable. I don't know what the future held there. It was more like, I think after the excitement of just like, wow, like I'm like partying, but I'm working at the same time. Once the excitement of that like kind of dissolved, I kind of like started thinking about footwear again. A recruiting agency put me in Kohlheim. I think again, I was just doing like color work, like small design input. And then I got word, maybe it was my second day that this guy, Jeff Henderson, who was um, an OG Nike designer. I think he designed there for like 15 years. He was in the office. And I saw him, and he was this, like, tall black dude, and he was wearing these Jordans that I'd never seen before. So I was like, whoa, who was this guy, right? And, uh, and so he was going to get, like, toured around the office. And so I knew he was going to walk by my desk. I'm okay at sketching. So I, like, flipped to, like, a nice sketch page, slid it to the edge of the table. And, and then when he walked by, he was, like, walking by, and he was like, hey. And then he, like, saw the, the sketches, and he was like, whoa. And he started flipping through. Um... And then, yeah, he ended up asking if I wanted to join this innovation team that he was, he was starting. And I don't know if the sketches were the, what got him to pay attention to me, but that was at least what I was trying to, trying to do. And this was the team that would eventually design the Lunar Grand? Yes, yes. So it was me, another designer that goes by the name of Jin Hong, who I believe is at Converse now, and Jeff. And we were like this, this three-person team, super nimble, and also pretty unorthodox for like an, a corporate, also pretty formal envir- environment such as Kohan. 
but you know, we came in with like two like very young designers and one like very seasoned one coming from Nike, so with a lot of know-how. And we were given the green light to kind of just like shake things up. Did you feel like, okay, if I can win here, maybe there's like a road to Beaverton for me or something along those lines? Well, actually at that time, pretty early on, I was offered, I don't know, I don't want to say it was like a job at Beaverton, but I was pretty much told that, hey, if you want to go there, I, you, like it could happen. But strangely, I, I, I didn't want to leave New York. I was getting to taste the fruit a little bit with the Cole Haan thing because I was working with someone that came from Nike. I'm getting to work with Nike Technology. I'm getting to like go to Beaverton and like meet Tinker. So like almost all the things that I would like want to get out of a Nike job, I was kind of getting here, short of like the sneakers and the like athletes or whatever. So I stayed. How long did you guys work on the Lunar Grand? I think I don't even think it was something that was worked on for that long. I think it was more the communication and the introduction of it that took some time because there was like uh, internal um, communication, sometimes convincing that had to happen. Uh, and then it, it became it became a consumer, I guess, conversation of how do we inject it? Are we speaking to young people? Are we speaking to older people? Are we scaring older people away? Are we making it too young? So there was a lot of like, I guess, marketing specific conversations that, that had to happen once the, the product was established. What were the conversations you guys were having at the outset of the project, when you're sitting down and it's like, all right, we, we have this technology, we have this clientele and this thing that we do over here. So at that time I was, I don't know, 25, 26. So I wasn't even in those rooms. Those were high level, higher level conversations. It was more like Jeff would come back and say like, this is the conversation I had and this is what we're gonna do. And Jen and I would get on board. But to put it in a nutshell, it was really about like, you know, taking this product that's existed the same for so long, which was like brown, brown and black shoes, formal shoes, and and the consumer had kind of come to accept the discomfort of them and the seriousness of them and the the aesthetic of them, and we were kind of given the opportunity to take Nike innovation, Nike technology, and then our taste and create something new that wasn't going to be too polarizing still maintain the seriousness of formal footwear, but then also, you know, bring this consumer to a new place. And, you know, I remember the first time I wore them, I, I like ran to the train and, I, and then I looked down at my feet and I was like, oh. it was kind of like, it was like, I felt like this just new technology moment that uh, I, had, I hadn't experienced before with a dress shoe. Within the sort of confines of, of a brand that has been defined by making hard bottom shoes, when you get that first, I don't know if it was the gray with the uh, yellow bottom, mm -hmm. was it embraced broadly internally? It, it wasn't, but it's almost, I think it almost wasn't through conditioning. It's like as humans, we don't, we don't like what's different than, you know, the Steve Jobs quote of the consumer doesn't know what he or she wants until you show it to them. So I think it was something that initially was kind of like opposed, but then I think we asked some very specific questions about why they didn't like it and they were kind of not able to answer them. I think it was just more like from a, a gut feeling that they couldn't give any reasoning to. And then once we shot down all of the like uh, the unwarranted or unbacked up opinions, we were kind of able to like, you know, bring it to bring it to life. How did you know when your time at Bohan had come to an end? The brand is sold to Apex Partners. I think they were more interested in selling units, whereas um, you know before it was about innovation and exploring the capabilities of product. So I went from trying to figure out how to use Nike technology to take product to a new place to you know then now looking at what we were working on and almost going with uh, you know more easily digestible silhouettes that maybe the core consumer was used to.
actually, I was moved from the innovation team to the men's, uh, the men's team. So again, I, my responsibilities changed overnight from, you know, innovation and technology to, you know, make a wingtip and make a, like a, a boat shoe, which there's nothing wrong with, but it wasn't at the time what was motivating me. So did you quit with a job in hand or without? I, I did. I, I quit with a job in hand. At the time, it was my highest paying job. I was, it was six figures, which at the time, to just hit six figures, I was so ecstatic. It was like the coolest thing in the world. It was called the Sack, S-A-K, and they made like crochet like shoes that were sold in Macy's. It was, and again, so it was like I was stepping even further from where I wanted to be. But whereas with Dame, it was like happiness that distracted me. I think this time it was money that distracted me. It also just felt like I had the biggest life raft because at the time, like I was like so excited for that kind of salary. So, how did you sort of architect your next move? Uh, so I think the next stop was Greats. So Greats was this brand started by John Buscemi. At the time, I was a big fan of because he started Gourmet, which was like a like a kind of a staple grassroots footwear brand that was in a time of. Um, Nike, Reebok, Jordan, New Balance, Adidas, all those brands. And then like Gourmet comes out of left field. I hadn't heard of any of those guys. I wasn't familiar with the silhouettes, but they were just different. And, and they were working and people were wearing them. And I like really respected that because it was in a time where like I needed to have a swoosh or need to have three stripes. It really attracted me. And so then I found out he's starting this brand, looking for a designer. I reach out. It was, it was a great opportunity because I spent my entire career learning this was the first opportunity that I had where I could teach and I could implement all the things that I had learned over the years for this thing that they needed like guidance. And so at the time, it really felt like a new challenge. It was the first time where my superior would look at me and be like, what should we do? <laughs> and, I, and, then, and I was able to confidently answer the question. How did you know when it was time to move on? So I knew it was time to move on at Greats just because I felt like I had reached the ceiling there. Initially, I was really excited to be in this opportunity to teach and to make decisions. You know, I was never really like make, able to make any of the high level decisions of a brand. And I'd, I'd kind of gotten to do that and see what that felt like. You know, I got to really feel that drug at that company of just like, oh man, like we did this project that went down the runway because like I was friends with that guy or like, you know, that, that it was really about that then. And, uh, and so, yeah, I got to feel that. And then it be, I, again, you know, you keep getting to these points where like you want to accomplish these goals, but then once you achieve them, it's kind of like on to the next thing. So how did you engineer your exit there? I was fired from grades. Was that traumatizing? 100%. You know, like a job is security. A paycheck is security. It represents food, it represents a roof. A lot of people live paycheck to paycheck, right? So like when, when that gets cut off, it's super duper traumatizing and it humbles you. But for someone like me, it really like makes me like strap my boots even tighter and like get back to it. It's like, I think, I think all the times I've been unemployed were, were absolutely necessary. I was still experiencing the grief and then I'm on LinkedIn and I see this guy, uh, Rim Coolhouse, who is the nephew of the architect Rim Coolhouse. And he has this brand United Nude. Really interesting footwear, really architectural, really linear. And I hit him up and I'm like, hey, like, what's up, you know? And he was like, oh, like I'm doing this design charrette, flying in some designers, I'd love to have you. So I fly to, I think it was Guangzhou, China. And I stayed there for like two weeks and it was this really intensive, just like design course of just like, make what you think is cool through our brand lens. 
And so I think that was that was cool because that was the first time I was like flown internationally for my job, short of like the factory trips. This was like actually they like spent money to have me there to like create for them. So that felt like really interesting. And then I was getting to work on just like really forward things. So they were like somewhat alien and just not that average shoe that everyone kind of makes. So that really motivated me a lot. It was a little bit of money. Um, and then I'm around like other creatives. So that was definitely, you know, injecting me with a little like a positive creative influence. And then uh, right after that, uh, Jeff hits me and he's like, hey, I'm working with Kanye. Um, he wants someone to move out to LA. And do you have any work you can send? And the fact that I was just working on this United Nude stuff that was really forward and really innovative, I was like, oh, this is perfect. It didn't take long for Bembury's designs to start turning heads and even capture the attention of one Kanye West. Soon after, Bembury would join Yeezy and get a crash course in Ye's intense design process. Did you have any sort of expectation or apprehension going into that situation? No apprehension. The expectation was that it was just about to be like craziest experience of my life. Yeah, just from like ex external optics, being a fan, be, you know, being a huge sneaker fanatic. Uh, I just was like kind of, it was kind of like a buckle up thing where if I walked in and they were just doing something like next level that was kind of scary, I'd still like probably would have done it. But they were like, here, shoot this guy. I'd have been like, all right, this is easy. You know, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, I was just like 100% on board. But this was not your first meeting with Kanye West, as I understand it. No, so yeah, so uh, when I so I worked at when I worked at Payless, I was going to lunch and I saw Kanye and Don, Don C in a cab. They drove like two blocks. He gets out. He's like walking into a building. I like book down the block. I'm like Kanye, Kanye, and he was. I think he was gonna ignore me because he thought I was like just like paparazzi or a fan. But then I was like, I design. And then he like froze and that got him to like pay attention. He turns around, looks me up and down. The fit didn't really represent my personal style or you know anything he was necessarily trying to mess with. Um, but then he like tapped Don C and Don C took my info. And then I like ran back to my desk thinking that that was my, I thought that was gonna be my moment. And uh, he never hit me back, but it was kind of cool to have that full circle moment, yeah. What is the interview process like? I don't even think there was an interview process. I think it was more my work was interviewed. Like I just kept sending work and then I'm sure there was a lot of research of me that happened without my knowledge or whatever. Yeah, I don't really know. I just remember getting the call and like Jeff was kind of the mediator. So I don't, I don't really know how it went down. Kanye is obviously a very dynamic, creative. What would you say were sort of the most important things that you took away from that experience? Not following rules. That might be like sound really obvious. We released Boots in the beginning of the summertime and people thought that was nuts and they worked. And obviously... It being Kanye that, you know, he can he can break more rules than most. Yeah, so we've just been conditioned through whether it's like a fashion calendar or like specific colors to use and, and not use. I think we've really been conditioned to create product one way. And working with an individual like him has kind of taught me that it doesn't have to go that way. You can really just stay true to your design perspective and what you want to put out there. And going back to like, you know, being around my parents and not necessarily catching those gems in the moment. I remember working with him and being like, this is crazy, this is never gonna work, but then it did. And then that really gave me um, extremely valuable insight. How would you compare the intensity of that, that work environment relative to your experiences at Kohan or Payless? Well, similar to the Dame Dash experience, it was just like, it, it was just shattering what I thought 
a job was supposed to be, what the corporate environment was supposed to be. But from a, you know, uh, I guess a, a money standpoint and, uh, you know, a, a design standpoint, it was exactly the same. But it was like the, the office setting wasn't the same. The people that were working there weren't wearing the things that you were supposed to, or at least I thought you were supposed to wear at a job. And it just wasn't that stiff environment that I was like, I became very used to for the last five or six years or however long it had been. So that excited me, you know, as well as the opportunity and who I was working for and the things I got to do and the people I got to meet and all those things. It was just so different. And I felt like I was a part of something special. And on the strength of that experience, Benbury would garner the confidence to identify his next home and reach out via LinkedIn with a cold proposition. Let me run the sneaker team at Versace. Your time at Easy comes to a close and you decided to move on. How were you feeling about the experience in general and also about what that meant for your future? It all happened kind of abruptly, so I really wasn't sure what that next step was. And being a New Yorker in L.A. for the first time, I, it was kind of like a culture shock. I almost like was so deep in this sauce of Yeezy that I looked up and I was like, oh, my God, I'm in Los Angeles. You know, I was then kind of met with a year of unemployment slash freelancing for brands that I wasn't proud to necessarily be associated with. But it was more about a paycheck and just a lot of like uncertainty of like what my value was. Had I reached the zenith of like footwear brands? Where do you go after Yeezy? All those kinds of things. And just like funds depleting rapidly. One day you are having a, a moment of repose by yourself uh, in the bathroom, scrolling through LinkedIn, and then what happens? So I'm on LinkedIn. I see in like the people you may know section, I see a Versace design director. I kind of propose an opportunity. Because yeah. I just would always just like cold message people kind of like, hey, can I like get an interview? Or is there a job here or whatever? And so I reach out to him and I'm like, you know, the sneaker industry is a multi-billion dollar business. Uh, growing up, it was always about like, you know, brands with logos, Nike, New Balance, Adidas. And, you know, now we're in this space where this consumer is really open to the fact that fashion houses can make sneakers. So I was like, you know, it's an opportunity for you guys. You have such um, overt brand DNA, the, the Baroque print, uh, the Medusa, the Greca, you know, that's like that. And that can easily be translated into footwear. So, you know, it's an opportunity for you guys and you should really jump in. And I feel like I'm the person that could, you know, steer that ship. And so I'm just fishing. And then like three days later, Donatella hits me back and she's like, um, I love your ideas. Can you come to Milan and tell me more? How much prep work did you go? Well, since, you know, this is something I've been like, you know, breathing for my entire life. I was just going to just scroll down, hype something, like grab, 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 you know, grab some things. Um, but then strangely universe, whatever you want to call it, the week leading up, spoke to like a buddy's mom and she was like, go to the store, see what's selling, do your market research. Spoke to another friend that was like, put sample design work in there. Um, don't assume they know you can design. Spoke to someone else that reminded me that there's not too many people that look like me in the high fashion space. It's bigger than me. I'm paving away. Take it seriously. So what was going to be a three or four page presentation turned into a 40 page presentation. So you show up at Donatella's house or office? It was the office, yeah. She has a very home-esque uh, office in, I guess, the building. And I show up there. It's super regal, a lot of gold. And then so we, we meet one-on-one, -on -one, um, show her all the different things. She's um, like maybe a third of the way through. She's like ecstatic. She starts bringing people in. And then uh, I finish it, and she just, she's like, I love you. And like, I want to hire you. 
And I was like, oh my God, amazing. And then she asked me if I wanted to move to Milan or uh, stay in LA or consult. And I was like, I can have my own studio in LA and I'll travel here once a month for shows and product approvals and meetings or whatever. And she was like, cool. And so instantly it just went from unemployment to like, I have a job and it's like a kind of a job that people seem to care about. I guess Yeezy was the one that if like you were in the know, that you'd be like, oh wow, Yeezy. But like Versace was like, if I told someone's grandma I was at Versace, they'd be like, you know, it was like this universal, like you had this universal respect. So instantly it was like life kind of changed. Benbury continued to marry fashion with function and his acclaimed chain reaction silhouette was an instant hit for the heritage house of Versace. Well, it was great because I reported directly to Donatella, so that made a lot of the potential obstacles go away. But at the same time, she understood that sneakers weren't necessarily her forte, and she believed that coming from a place like Easy, I was an expert in the space, so she kind of just let me go. And for me, I just kind of had to like identify the, uh, I guess, the brand, the the significant brand uh, details, which was the Baroque print, the Medusa, and the Greca. And then, I guess... Implementing my industrial design knowledge, I was like, can any of these things be functional? And the most functional thing was like the chain. Not all chains, some are rounded, but I looked at like the Cuban link chain. It had a flat aspect to it. And I was like, wow, this could be um, potentially a functional shape. So started modeling it with clay, playing around. I had a friend um, 3D model up my sketches. And then I was able to go out to Milan and then present it to her and literally hand her a physical outsole. So, you know, going back to um, being able to like hold the thing, you know, if communicating with someone that maybe isn't necessarily an expert in sneakers, if I was holding up a piece of paper and if I was like, hey, like you can imagine there's a chain there, she may not be able to understand or digest that. But if I'm literally handing her that thing, there was no conversation that needed to be had. She was on board immediately. And then uh, we got to work, made a shoe. I would say the least favorite part of the footwear process for me is creating the spec. I would compare it to like an Ikea instruction manual because you need to communicate to the factory ultimately how to make your design. And sometimes there's a language barrier, so you have to be able to communicate with uh, visual things and potentially different reference images. I designed it in like two weeks and then we ended up making it in like, I think the end of that month. So it was like developed in maybe three to four weeks because the show was in like six weeks or something like that. Did you know that it was gonna be in the show or was that sort of the ambition when you started working on it? I don't, I'm not sure if it was supposed to be in the show initially, but I think that it was just like, the response was so good and and it was just so different and it really seemed to take all the ingredients that was the Versace brand ethos and like kind of perfectly put them into a shoe that was like equally kind of crazy, but then also somewhat digestible, but then also like had some like, subconscious details that you might have that might feel familiar from a shoe of the past and so really i think it was kind of like a no-brainer to to introduce it and so for the first show it was on like the majority of the models and uh that was i think that i would say that that was kind of like the foundation for the for the introduction of just like the the sneaker business of uh of versace how did you start to establish your brand outside of versace I was thinking about that recently. I, I I would say it was a lot of different things, but uh, I would almost say it was like the, the Virgil blueprint, you know, because, you know, rest in peace. When we lost him 
um, and kind of made me think of like the ways he inspired me on like a deeper significant level, but then on a really like surface shallow level, like the deeper significant levels are, you know, how to move as like a black man in like high fashion and like how to promote myself or push myself or maybe feel like I belong in a room where someone that looks like me hasn't existed before. But then on some shallow level, it's like, he showed me like how to move through the airport and like show and show people my shoes. Like, so I think, you know, there's a level of like marketing that comes with this, this, this job. I think, you know, there are people like him that kind of showed like how, like how to have fun with it and how to be your own kind of creative and, uh, but just do it with like, with tax and class and then authenticity, most importantly. I think like my audience probably resonates with my level of authenticity the most. I know one of the things that you've talked extensively about it is when you got those first sort of seating pairs of the Versace shoe, utilizing this network that you had built to make sure that you got them into the, onto the feet of the right people. Was that part of that sort of plan of like, I need, I need these things to work and I need it to be associated with me? Well, I hadn't built a network. I maybe knew one or two people. It was more about hitting people and uh, asking them, like, didn't you used to date this person? Or, like, didn't you used to manage this person? And then I was just, like, personally seating the shoes myself. I wanted to fill the buckets, the product buckets, right? So the chain reaction was the Peacock product. When a Peacock spreads its feathers, everyone looks. And then it was about, now we got to do, like, a a really good runner. And then, like, we got to do a really good boot. And we got to do a really good slide. And it's, like, from a, a... perspective of like merchandising. If we have what we believe to be the perfect version of this thing, then we're killing it. And then every season beyond that, we can just kind of like sprinkle in extra credit stuff either for shows or or to um, satisfy like a certain consumer need. But if we have the perfect runner, there's no reason to, like a lot of a lot of high fashion brands like are creating newness all the time. And, um, you know, you have to edit to amplify. So if you believe you have the perfect runner, like don't change it. You know, that's why, like, we were talking about runners, and you brought up a shoe from almost 30 years ago. But it's perfect, so there's there's reason to, you know? One of the most important people who ended up getting a pair of the sneakers was 2 Chains. Can you tell me how that happened, and, and what, how did that change the launch of the sneaker? Um, so that was easily one of the most significant ones because uh, I would say a combination of the fact that we vibe so well and then the the product was so in line with his brand identity i i got put in touch with tech who's his manager i think i i think i ended up calling him it was like maybe 1 a.m i was in milan got put on the phone with him i was like hey man i got this this shoe that really aligns with your brand we should we should figure out a way to do something he was like what do you mean like let me see the shoe so i had him sign an nda and then i show him the shoe and he was like oh my god it's made of two chains and like immediately he was like kind of sold by that, you know, and then I think there was just a level of, uh, you know, I, I believe that I was like, if I was a white guy wearing a suit from Milan, the communication may not have been as successful, you know? So I brought him to Milan, we pull up, we get out of the car, and it was just like surreal to be walking into a, fashion, a Versace fashion show where the model's gonna be wearing my work and I'm walking in with like this huge rapper and you have to think that like two months early, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out where the next, you know, the, the third month rent is going to come from. And so things changed really drastically then. Yeah, I remember just being backstage, like watching it on the screen. Like I'd always seen like fashion designers like watching the show on the screen. And I'm, now I'm like in my line, like watching it on the screen with Donatella. And yeah, that was like an extremely crazy moment for me that I will never, ever forget. 
if, if a fashion house comes out with a, a dope shoe, that becomes the shoe. And ultimately, like, that's what I did. I came out with a dope shoe at a fashion house, and it was the shoe for a period of time. If, if the job was the foundation for me, like the chain reaction was the foundation for the footwear business, or the sneaker business at least. Have you ever had a big idea but lacked the tools to implement it? Look no further than Shopify. Shopify is the brand that powers all your favorite clothing, beauty, and sneaker brands and offers the best-in-class commerce tools to allow you to sell online, in person, and on all major social platforms. Shopify fuels millions of entrepreneurs and turns ambition into action. Check out shopify.com slash idea to learn more. Now back to the story. While his work for Versace continued to move the needle, Benbury got the thumbs up from Donatella to pursue his own collaborations on the side. With nearly 15 years of footwear experience under his belt and his name beginning to ring bells, Benbury secured deals with both New Balance and Crocs. And as the success began to multiply, Benbury took the opportunity to bring all his endeavors together under his personal brand, Sponge. What changed that you started to look at the front door and think about what was next for you? I think it was like my third year. They were nice enough to allow me to do some collaborations. So I collaborated with New Balance and Anta. That's a Chinese sportswear brand. And I got to see those collaborations happen here. So to go from concept to release, that kind of showed me that I have a little bit of an audience. And I got to like see a project play out while still having the security of my job at Versace. So even if I did have any ambition of like wanting to leave Versace and, and uh, do my own thing, now I kind of had proof. And then I, I guess I also felt like I accomplished everything I could accomplish at Versace. I kind of I created a footwear business there from scratch. For a few seasons, it was the top selling business in the company, which is unheard of for a fashion house. Um, I created like an it sneaker. It was like a VP or something fancy like that. And so I didn't feel like I needed to do, accomplish any more there. And I just like was looking for a new challenge. What were the ducks that you wanted to get in a row in order for you to feel like you had that launching pad to go completely independent? I think one was seeing projects execute successfully and selling out, and that's not something I ever experienced. People were start approaching me on the street like, oh my God, it's you. And I'd be like, whoa, like, that's, that's new. And then I would start getting offered other projects. I was like, wow, like now more people want to work with me. This is interesting, right? Like I, I kind of have like a brand identity because of like my, you know, my relationship with the outdoors and camping and hiking. So everything kind of just like fell into place organically. And then um, I took the jump, which was like extremely scary and I felt very vulnerable, but it was kind of, it was time to, to take that next challenge. I think having a brand is freedom because I've had to like meet certain deadlines or, you know, make something blue because like, it's like, you know, wintertime or whatever. And now I'm just kind of like the, the Kanye making a boot in the beginning of the summertime situation. Like I'm just doing what I want and it feels really good. And then the audience is responding still. So it's letting me know that I'm making the right decision. When did you launch uh, Sponge? It's established in 2020, so I guess after Versace, but then it took some time to actually get some t tangible things out there. There's been uh, one drop and a couple of collaborations and I'm about to do another drop in the spring and everything sells out, which is great to be able to say. I'm just gonna continue to explore with that. And it feels good that I don't have to like talk to anyone about it or like report to anyone. Been offered a, a lot of investments for it and I have zero interest because I just wanna like fund it myself and just like have it be my thing and then maybe one day, but for now it's like, I, I've taken all the investment meetings just to like learn, but I just don't have any interest. Do you take every opportunity as it comes? 
No, no plan. I'm lucky enough that I just get offered like a lot of opportunity. I would say I've had to exercise no way more than yes this, this year. And I've probably bit off a little bit more than I can chew if I'm being transparent. It's, I think there's, it's a really interesting feeling to, for the longest time I would walk into meetings with companies and I would need them. The way that meeting went would really like make or break my day. So now I've taken meetings, some with like fashion houses, where like, sure, like it'd be cool to work with them, but like I don't need them. If the deal doesn't work out, like I'm good. And that feeling is like, I can't compare anything to that. You know, I need to sustain that and that's fragile. So that's not forever. But right now I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. And um, that feels like the ultimate freedom. What was that feeling of setting up online store, getting your Shopify backend settled, putting those first SKUs up for sale and selling out and, and seeing that you actually no longer do need any outside anything? Hmm. Well, it was extremely empowering because up until this point, I've like had to work for a company or I need that, that logo on the side of it to make it uh, a sellable item. But that was like, it was education because I was able to sell something that was 100% me. I didn't need anyone else. And that kind of showed me that I, again, have an audience. It was kind of like that. I almost needed to see proof of concept before I have like full confidence to like dive in. And so it showed me that I have an audience. It showed me that uh, I can get people to react to what I create without the help of any other, you know, brand association. And uh, it also showed me, gave me a perspective of quantities, of like quantities, price point, all the, like all the things that you need to know when it comes to your consumer. I learned that my consumer will spend us an X amount of dollars. I learned that they're extremely hungry for what I create. They'll sell it out within like 30 minutes. And I, I learned that there's a large group of people that associate my product with experience, which I think is powerful. A lot of the time you wear a pair of shoes and then you return it to your closet. But I think it's really cool that they will take my shoes and bring it with them to nature or, or camp. And that's, that's not something you do with like too many things. And I, I kind of want to like take that, that insight and, and, and really explore it and, and create things that really influence a, a whole group of people to experience. What are the next sort of things that you want to check off on your bucket list as you build your brand? I had an interesting conversation with Ronnie Feig where he was saying that a lot of the time these days people uh, are doing like one-off collaborations and they move on to the next brand. And he was like, he believes in long-term partnerships. So he was like, you should really identify the brands that like resonate with you the most, that you feel like you have a really good uh, rapport with and you've created a great product with and you should like, you know, stick there and, and explore that. So that's what I've just been trying to do. I've really just been observing the collaborations play out, the successes, the failures the insight and then, you know, kind of implementing them into the, the next chapter. So some of the brands you've seen me work with, I'm going to continue to work with, um, explore some of the product range that you've seen. And then also, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm interested in new opportunity. I realized my name in the footwear space is a sought after one. And, and that's an opportunity to like, you know, bring different things to life. When we talk about your experience professionally, you've been on some teams, but as you sort of rose through the ranks, you've largely been working you know, in solitary for the most part. Do you anticipate building a team around yourself in the near future? I've always like, I envy some of my friends that have like really solid, like three or four person teams where it just seems like they totally get like the brand culture. They can be trusted. They're not like in it for personal gain necessarily. Yeah, I'd love to one day have that. I've had one person work under me. His name's Fardeen. He's like a, a hired assassin. He's really good at what he does. He works at Amiri now. But so I found him on Instagram. I brought him in, made a little like test, like shoe test. Like, like it was a picture of a phone positive. I was like, what is this? And they had to like answer it. 
Vardine gets the job. Um, but I like, couldn't stand him for like the first three months. And then like fast forward, like the next year and whatever, nine months or however long we worked together, like he, we, we were like really close and amazing designer. And, but you need to like go through those growing pains and getting to know someone. I just don't know if I have the time or want to like deal with that again. Like I wish it could just be an easy plug and play where I hire someone and it's just like, we, we love each other and the work gets done smoothly, but it doesn't always go like that. So I think that's maybe the one thing that's made me a little bit like reluctant to jump back in. And I say that, you know, Fardin knows I love him, so. How much more do you think you can scale the business before you have to start hiring people? I think it all comes down to time management in the end. Even now, the, with the amount of work I'm doing, I tell people that I'm doing it alone and they can't believe it. They're like, but you must have like, a, and I'm like, no, I answer my emails and I even take my packages to the post. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's that people are lazy or that I'm not valuing my time enough. My buddy Josh kind of gave me this perspective. He said it's like immigrant mentality where it's like, it's just kind of like whatever it takes to get the job done, right? So like he has a few nice cars, but then he also has no problem being covered in pain and moving a bunch of boxes because that's a part of the job, right? So I'm kind of the same way. It may not be sustainable, but at this point in time, I'm like not too good for any tasks. You started your career in industrial design, moved through the footwear industry, ended up at a high fashion house, and now are in a situation where you're being courted by sort of parties from all sides. Where do you want to be? Kind of there right now. And I think maybe my inability to predict the future uh, makes it hard to answer that question. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely there right now. I mean, you see this space, like it's a great environment to create in. People seem to love my work. So I, I just, yeah, I just want to, I want the opportunities to continue and I want to continue to learn and I want to continue to impact change. And we'll see, I think, I think it's just going to be shown to me. You know? On the one hand, Salehi Benberry's story is very conventional. He went to college, took the first job he could, and then worked his way up in a competitive industry. But on the other hand, Benberry's approach to life is just as abstract as his designs. This ability to tightrope walk the line of convention has taken Benberry's art to new heights. By day, Benberry can dip into his traditional bag and cold call someone off LinkedIn. But by night, the rule book gets tossed and Benberry takes the ordinary, a Cuban link chain, for example, and turns it into something extraordinary. The lesson here is balance and understanding that mastering the perfunctory, mundane parts of an industry has value. One must know how the system works before they can manipulate it. Learn the rules and then break the rules. So the next time you find yourself at an impasse, just ask yourself, what would Salehi do? Big thanks to our sponsors at Shopify. If you're looking to start your own online store, check out shopify.com ideas and become your own boss today. 